This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Off the Record is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Off the Record. I'm your host, Jordan Runtog. Thanks so much for listening. Our latest chapter examines David Bowie at the dawn of the 70s. It was the decade he'd grow to dominate, but the beginning was not very auspicious. David had experienced the first taste of fame with Space Oddity, but as he'd later sing, the taste was not so sweet. The song came and went, and David was in danger of being labeled that most sorry of artists, the one-hit wonder. It was a transitional time for David, as he sought to solidify his look and his sound. He morphed from the space folk hippie of space oddity, to the godfather of glam behind the man who sold the world, and finally the androgynous tunesmith who'd release his breakthrough, the wonderfully eccentric Hunky Dory. The album would open with the song Changes. Destined to become one of his signature tunes, it was something of a personal anthem at the time. David faced changes in management, changes in homes, changes in musicians, and in his personal style. The changes were mostly good ones and set him up for the success that was just around the corner. The episode opens with perhaps the most significant moment of this exciting period, his first trip to the United States. Bowie touched down at Dulles International Airport in Washington, D.C. on January 23rd, 1971. This was a major occasion for him. He'd been America mad as a teen. The moment was a triumph, until he was detained by custom officials for his feminine clothes. He received a warmer welcome from Ron Oberman, his press agent sent to greet him by his label, Mercury Records. This wasn't just strictly business. Ron was joined by his entire family, his mom, his dad, and his younger brother, music journalist Michael Oberman. David had wanted to spend his first night in the States with a typical American family, and that's exactly what he got. The future starman crash-landed at the Oberman's suburban home in Silver Springs, Maryland, where he was welcomed like one of their own. They all piled into the car, and the senior Obermans treated their newly enlarged family to dinner at a local steakhouse. The Obermans' hospitality foreshadowed the warm embrace Bowie would receive from America throughout his career. His first night in the United States has gone down in Bowie lore as an important early step in his journey to global superstardom. The trip is the plot of a new film, Stardust, 
a movie that's been deemed controversial for its liberal reinterpretation of historical events. Ron Oberman, an instrumental force in Bowie's early career, sadly died in 2019, but his brother Michael recounted the famous visit in his new book, Fast Forward, Play, and Rewind. One part memoir, the book also collects his interviews with over a hundred rock legends, ranging from Janis Joplin and James Brown to the Jefferson Airplane, The Doors, Leon Russell, Emmett Rhodes, Little Feet, and of course, David. I was lucky enough to speak with Michael about his remarkable career as a music journalist and that special night with David Bowie in his parents' living room back in 1971. Well, oh man, I have so many things I want to ask you. I guess before I asked you about Bowie's first night in America, I wanted to ask you about the very first time you spoke to him a few years earlier in 1969. Well, my brother had sent me a copy of Space Oddity, and I had also been subscribing to New Musical Express and Melody Maker um, because as a writer for a major newspaper, I wanted to know what was going on with the British music scene. And, and the, of course, I had subscriptions to American journals too, like Billboard and eventually Rolling Stone. The interview with, with David in 69 was very brief. I asked him a couple of questions and it was done and I wrote my piece. Obviously, fast forwarding to 71, it was a totally different story. You know, at the time of Space Oddity, that's all I knew about Bowie. He was not a household name in the United States in 1969. And in fact, in 71, he was far from a household name because people had already forgotten Space Oddity. It was a brief introduction, a, a hello, arranged by my brother since my brother worked for Mercury Records. And that was it. And around this time, and this is all in your incredible book, Fast Forward, Play and Rewind, you interviewed hundreds of rock legends. I mean, there's it, it, my favorite is this picture of you at the Watergate Hotel with James Brown. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, who were who some highlights from you for that era? Um, you know, my f- favorite interviews really maybe Joni Mitchell because she wasn't granting interviews at that time and I got one with her. Um, Jim Morrison backstage at the Spectrum Theater in Philadelphia. Wow. There was my Janis Joplin interview. It was Janis Joplin headlining with the Jeff Beck group opening for her. And at the time, the Jeff Beck group, the lead singer was Rod Stewart. The bass player was Ron Wood. Keyboard player was Nicky Hopkins. And the gig was at the Alexandria, Virginia roller rink. This was before there were really concert halls. So I interviewed Jeff Beck in the dressing room and Janice's driver comes up to me, says she would like to do the interview at her hotel. There were two shows, one at 4 p.m. and one at 8 p.m. And he would drive me to the hotel and bring me back to my car. So I go there and she's got a suite. So there's a bedroom and a living room and I'm sitting on the couch waiting for her to come in. And on the coffee table in front of me is a bong and a bottle of Southern Comfort. And Janice comes in. (laughs) Her favorite. And she's wearing a low-cut kind of Mexican peasant blouse. And she had just done a great show. She's kind of sweaty. And she leaned over to grab the bottle of Southern Comfort while saying to me, would you like a drink? And I said, no, not while I'm working. And when she leaned over, one breast came out of her blouse, totally. And it stayed out for the entire interview. 
Now, I'm a 20-year-old guy trying to interview Janis Joplin, and I'm trying to look her in the eyes. So, there, there, you know, people ask me, what do I remember? I certainly remember her breast. And there, there are moments like that. Grateful Dead Almond Brothers. Midnight till 6 a.m. show at the Fillmore East. I set up an interview with Jerry Garcia for after the show, which means 6.30 in the morning at the hotel. And I'm in a room, in a hotel room with Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, one of their managers, John McIntyre, and a roadie. And once again, there's a coffee table, but on this coffee table, there's a gallon jug of like cheap wine, gallo wine. <laughs> Pig pen must have been nearby. <laughs> and I wanted to break the ice somehow, and I was kind of an amateur magician back then, so I had crumpled up in my hand a ball of something called flash paper. And they passed a joint around to me, and I made it a habit not to smoke or drink when I was doing an interview. And when they passed me the joint, I dropped the ash into my hand, and a ball of flame shot out of my hand from the flash paper. Jerry Garcia grabbed the jug of wine and doused my hand with wine, thinking it was on fire. And of course, they were tripping. And what happens, the interview turns into me explaining flash paper and flash pots. And soon after that, the Grateful Dead began using flash pots on stage. So I think about moments and, you know, was it a coincidence? that they learned about flash paper from me or was it Providence? You know, so obviously having David Bowie spend the day with me and my parents and my brother was great. But if you could put yourself in my shoes for a minute, this was my job. But not only was it my job, I was the same age as most of these artists. So there was a simpatico that was there already. I had long hair blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it was such a heady time for me because at a young age, here I was interviewing the cream of the crop of the music industry. And what you see in my book is, uh, you know, I think about 110 or 115 interviews of the 300 that were published of the 500 that I did, because there were a lot of interviews that I did that I just never ran. Um, the interviews weren't weren't good, the group was too stoned, too drunk, et cetera. And then, you know, I'll, I'll go to an oddball interview, the legendary Stardust Cowboy. How many people in the United States had interviewed the legendary Stardust Cowboy when Paralyzed came out? Not many. I imagine not many. No, no. And then to have that connection later on with the legendary Stardust Cowboy and David Bowie, is, you know, it just still blows my mind. Oh, it, it is incredible. I mean, I guess taking us up to, to 1971, uh, tell me about going to the airport to meet him. I mean, this was the whole family, your mom, dad, you, uh, Ron. I mean, it, I, I picture like a cooler Griswolds just kind of like showing up <laughs> at, at the airport. It's amazing. Well, you know, the nice thing is my brother had uh, hung with Bowie in London in 1969. And then over the two-year period, between 69 and 71, my brother dealt with Bowie and his management company quite a bit. 
So it was old home home week for him. For me, it was really because my brother had flown in from Chicago. For me, it was driving my parents out to Dulles because as much as it was interesting for them to meet David Bowie, they wanted to see their son who had been living in Chicago and working for a record company. So we all get there and we were probably expecting him to come out of customs about 45 minutes before he actually did. Um, I think they probably held him up a little bit just because of the way he looked, the way he was dressed, et cetera. Um, which, you know, look, my brother and I had long hair. David Bowie had long hair. David, when he arrived at the airport, was in a calf-length kind of flared coat that looked like a dress. And, you know, this was uh, 1971 at Dulles Airport in, in Virginia, and I guess they were having some fun with him in customs. Yeah, I mean Nixon's America. I can't imagine taking kindly to 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 a man in a dress arriving on their shores. That makes that makes a lot of sense, I guess, for the time. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny. This morning, when I did my radio interview in, in in London, we talked about those times because we had a war in Vietnam going on, and music played a big part in in the anti-war movement. David Bowie's music did not play a big part in it, but what was going on at that time, you know, to to take you to a day in time, the May Day demonstrations, and I helped organize the music for that in Washington, D.C., saw the largest mass arrest in U.S. history, 12,000 peaceful protesters handcuffed in zip-tie handcuffs and taken to RFK Stadium as a holding cell. And wow, this was in May 71? 1971, yeah. Still holds a record. And, and you know, when, you know, I, I hate to get current, but January 6th at the Capitol, violent protesters, hardly any of them were arrested. <laughs> they all should have been put in zip-ties. And yet in... In 71, there were probably 70 to 80,000 people there for the, the music and the, the May Day anti-war protests. And 12,000 arrested. It was amazing. So we arrived at a, a seminal time in, in, in the United States history. And he was, he didn't fit in musically, the man who sold the world. Well, first of all, let, let me say something about Mercury Records. God bless my brother who passed away. He did the best job he could for Mercury promoting acts. But Mercury, there's a reason why Graham Parker sang the song Mercury Poison. And part of it was Mercury didn't know how to promote LPs. They promoted a lot of 45s at the time. You're, you're talking about Keith with 98.6. You're talking about the left bank, pretty ballerina. But album groups were not, you know, it was mercury poisoning. So they didn't know what to do with Bowie. The Man Who Sold the World was too dark of an album for them. And But my brother believed in them. And the whole idea, the movie Stardust comes out, okay, and they they have a disclaimer at the beginning of it that, you know, it's 
a lot of fiction. Well, it is mostly fiction. There are a few facts in there. In the movie, they make you seem to think that Bowie was surprised when he got to the United States that he couldn't perform. But he knew that before he came over. He didn't have a work visa. At the time, in order for a British group to play paying gigs in the United States, an American group had to play paying gigs in Great Britain. Okay, so there was a tit-for-tat, there was a trade-off. I think the British invasion of groups earlier had caused that ruling to happen because a lot of British groups were doing concerts here and, and kind of knocking Americans off the stage. So David was not surprised. And my 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 parents took him in like he was one of their children. I mean, it, the funny thing is, the actress who plays my mother. I don't know, have you seen the film Stardust? I haven't yet. No, I really suggest you watch it on, on, on video on demand. It's really a dreadful movie. <laughs> so <laughs> a I, ringing I, endorsement. I, I think, you know, well, first of all, they have Mark Maron, who was 56 years old playing my brother, who was 27 at the time that Bowie arrived. They have Mark Maron dropping the F bomb in almost every scene, and my bro- brother never cursed in his life. They have my mother say to David Bowie at the airport, David, wait until you try my Kasha Varnishkas. Well, <laughs> my mother never made a Jewish dish in her life. Then there is a, there's a scene in my parents' house where supposedly we were having dinner in the dining room, with a younger brother and sister that I, to this day, don't know that they ever existed. But in the (laughs) film, they do. And we didn't have dinner in the dining room. We went to a place called Emerson's Restaurant. But in that scene in the dining room, the actor who plays me, David even acknowledges, hey, Michael, the actor who plays me says to David, are you a novelty act? Now, Oh, my gosh. How embarrassing for me. My brother, unfortunately, you know, he had dementia the last years of his life. He didn't even know this movie was being made. But I had offered Salon Pictures six months before the filming started to give them background on that 71 trip. And the Paul Van Carter, the producer of the film, said, I will put Gabriel Range, the director, in touch with you. Well, months went by. I get a call. British accent. Oh, Michael. Yes. Gabriel Rangier, the director of Stardust. Oh, Gabriel. Great. Uh, I, I guess you want to talk to me about my brother and what happened on that trip. I said, oh, wow. We just finished shooting the film 18 days in Hamilton, Canada. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I know Mark Maron plays my brother, which I think is a big mistake, but can you tell me a little bit about the film? And he says, well, it's about the road trip that uh, David and your brother took across the United States and your brother's beat up old station wagon. Well, that road trip never happened. It never occurred. So, <laughs> you know, here I am. And then I, I, on November 25th, when the, when the film went on video on demand in the States, and it didn't go on video on demand in Great Britain until last week which is why I've been getting all these calls from, from England. It, I, I watched it on November 25th, and I sat here with my partner, Mary Jane, watching the film and saying, oh, my God, 
you know my mother, that's not my mother, you know me. And it, it really, you know, it, it skips a lot of important moments. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I've had some family members and friends that have shown around on their first trip to the States, and it's always fun for me to see what they zero in on as being uniquely American and special to them. I remember I had some family from Italy come, and they were totally taken by chocolate chip cookies for some reason. I was wondering how David reacted to America for those first hours here. Was there anything he picked up on that was really unique and special to him about the United States? Well, the the strange thing is you would think that here David Bowie has arrived in the U.S. for the first time and his wish that he told my brother was that he spend his first day with an American family. So it was really him asking us more questions than us asking him. He wanted to know about my father's work. He wanted to know about my writing. And when we went to the restaurant, we talked about film. We talked about writing. He discussed mime a little bit, and I tried to to be really nice because mime is probably my least favorite art form in the world. (laughs) 
You're not alone in that. And when I was on the student union board at the University of Maryland, one of the people that we booked was Marcel Marceau. Wow. Yeah. So, um, there was, it was almost like it wasn't somebody from, from London. It was just somebody who was from another city in America who wanted to talk about what we were doing. Um, I had no idea at that point, but because I was going to be doing a second story with on, on David, which didn't appear until 1972. And it wasn't really me interviewing him while he was here in, in the DC area. I wanted, I wanted that to be more of a friendly thing. I had no idea what was going to happen on this three weeks in the United States. And my brother would fill me in. We talked on the phone almost every day. Um, so, it, it, you know, in, in the movie Stardust, they have David doing an unpaid gig for a bunch of vacuum cleaner salesmen. And that's supposed to be funny. And I guess it was a little humorous in the movie, but it never happened. Um, David didn't come with equipment. He didn't come with a band. He knew that he was not. And they make a big deal of this in the movie. Oh, he was shocked that he arrived in America and he couldn't perform. He, he was a gentleman. Um, it was, it was interesting because this, he ended up back at my house in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And one of the bands I was managing at the time, because besides being a writer, I was managing artists, was called Sky Cobb. Their drummer's name was Marcus Cuff. Marcus is now the premier tattoo photographer and motorcycle photographer in Los Angeles. And when he left Sky Cobb, he was the drummer in Emmy Lou Harris's Angel Band. And oh, wow. So Bowie comes back to my place and there's Sky Cobb's in the living room and they've got a bong and they're passing it around and David does not partake. And they ignored David. It was like, who is this freak? You know, <laughs> and that really pissed me off. And to this day, poor Marcus, every time I talk to him in LA, I bring it up. Um, he could kick himself for not really having befriended David Bowie on that first day in, in the States. So there was nothing, you know, it was almost like, it wasn't like I was walking into a dressing room to interview Jim Morrison. David Bowie was all of a sudden had become a member of the Overman family. And that's, that's really what it felt like. And I get, I get a lot of mail now, email from Bowie fans who know the story of his first day in the United States and have seen the photo, that photo of me, my brother and David on my parents' living room couch started appearing in British publications 15 years ago. I mean, that, that picture is just fantastic. I, I mean, it just looks so, it's so surreal. It's like David Bowie at Ozzy and Harriet's house or something. It's the coolest photo. Yeah. You know, it was for years I would get, messages from people saying that must be a joint in his hand in the photo. And it's not, it's my father's business card. David was interested in my father's work managing a brewery, um, which played a part in my life too. Uh, my fourth grade show and tell 
in the 1950s, my father brought home hops, barley, all the ingredients to make beer, and that was my show and tell how to make beer in my fourth grade class. So <laughs> That's one way to get popular in school. <laughs> I think I was a little ahead of my time with home brewing. Right, yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, one of my, my favorite parts of, of the story of, of David visiting your house is, show, is kind of giving him the tour, and you showed him your 1955 Dodgers versus Yankees World Series ticket, which is cool on its own, but autographed by Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. Right. How th- That still blows my mind. How did you get that? Okay. My father, as manager, of, a manager of National Bohemian Beer, in 55, he was the branch manager of the year. So the brewery gave us the use of the company plane and tickets to three World Series games, New York Yankees versus the Brooklyn Dodgers, the classic World Series of all time. And sitting in front of us, we had box seats between home plate and third base. Was Humphrey, Directly in front of us was Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. And of course, I was eight years old. I, you know, I didn't know from Humphrey Bogart. My mother says, oh my God, Michael, yeah. Get their autographs, and I thought, well, who are they? So I went over, you know, cute little boy <laughs> in his little shorts and and all, and excuse me, could I get your autographs? And they obliged. So the the you know, and it, it's funny because the whole Lauren Bacall thing, and then David Bowie with the album cover with that Lauren Bacall look. You know, it was, yeah, hunky dory, yeah, yeah. Just you know, there, there's a thread of DNA that just keeps popping up. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. What kind of impact does Bowie have on your life now? Because you were saying you've had a busy few months with the 50th anniversary of his first America trip and the release of the Stardust movie, plus the release of your own book. Is he a big figure in your life still? It, 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 it just, it's blowing my mind. I, you know, that all of this Bowie stuff, when Main Man got in touch with me and wanted me to do one of their podcasts, and then the David Bowie fanatics in Great Britain heard I was going to do it, got in touch with me, said, don't do it. And I said, why? Oh, David hated Tony DeVries at the end. You know, there, there was a very acrimonious <laughs> breakup. And I thought, well... You know, when I did my due diligence and and saw that Tony DeVries was taking 50% of what David made, I I thought that was akin to Colonel Parker and Elvis because that was the same arrangement. But Tony DeVries really, really launched David's career. But unfortunately, David had a drug problem. And it got very bad. And Tony had a zero pot tolerance for drugs. That was part of the breakup. So on David's part, it was he's ripping me off. And on Tony's part, I can't deal with the drug thing. Um, and Bowie fanatics are really fanatical. It's it's almost once again akin to Elvis Presley fans. He has such a, a great fan base. You've said that you saw Bowie one more time years after he became your adopted English brother for that night in 1971. Tell me about the last time you saw him. I had a two-year consulting contract in L.A. that took me out there one week a month. So I ended up staying at the Hotel Nico, which is a Japanese hotel. And one night at the Nico, I'm at the bar, and David Bowie walks in with nine-inch nails. They had been in concert in Delhi that night. And on the end, other end of the bar is Soupy Sales. So I'm in the <laughs> middle of the bar between Nine Inch Nails and Soupy Sales and David Bowie. So I'm, I'm in total heaven. You know, I, I go over and say hi to David, uh, renew my acquaintance, and then leave him and him be. And... I'm wondering what Soupy Sale is doing here. And this guy walks over and sits down next to me in a tuxedo. And he says, oh, that's David Bowie over there, isn't it? I said, yeah, that's David. And I said, that's Soupy Sales there. And he says, yeah, I know that's Soupy. There, there's a roast here tonight for my uncle in the ballroom. I said, who's your uncle? He says, Milton Berle. So... <laughs> He brings Milton Berle out of the roast to the bar. So I'm at the bar with David Bowie, Nine Inch Nails, Soupy Sales, and Milton Berle. Well, it sounds that, like the setup to a joke. 
I know. And when that evening ended, I had watched because I was staying at the Nico one week a month for two years. And I had watched these people come in and put two $100 bills on the bar and get a tiny snifter out of a glass, uh, out of a bottle that was in a locked cabinet. And after this nine inch nails, David Bowie thing, the bartender says, wow, let me buy you a drink. What would you like? And I said, I'll have what's in that lock. (laughs) (laughs) Did he do it? Yeah. Yeah, he did. It was like (laughs) 300 year old brandy. It was like tasting silk in your mouth. It was pretty incredible. What did David say when he saw you? That must've been a shock for him. Well, he didn't realize who I was at first. Um, This would have been in the mid 1990s. So it had been 24 years and how many people has David met? But as soon as I said, Oberman, Oh my God, how are you? You know, how's your brother? How, and you know, he had just come off playing that night and I, you know, I said, everything's fine. I I said, my parents are still alive and they, they certainly remember you well. Oh, give them my regards and say hello to Ron for me. And that was it. Wow. What an incredible coda to your Bowie experience. What's next for you with your book coming out? Is there a sequel or what are you working on? I, you know, I, my book is sitting with HBO right now and with the head of production for HBO. I don't know what's going to come of that. Um, I don't know how they could, you know, they'd have to make a long series out of it. Um, it it's been an, an interesting trip. And to think, look, when I was 25 years old, I didn't think I'd live to see 50. When I was 50, I got out of the music business and became a wildlife photographer. So I left the wildlife for wildlife. And <laughs> I, I never thought that at age 70, 71, I would be doing this book. It, it's been incredible. I, I thought that being out with great blue herons and, and bald eagles and all would uh, put an end to my music business stuff but it this has been a really good trip for me writing this book it got a lot out off the record is a production of iHeartRadio. if you liked what you heard please subscribe and leave us a review for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows 
your perfect home sweet home. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.